Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, a body neutrality podcast where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I'm your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I have with me Nicoletta Heidegger, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist and the host of the Sluts and Scholars podcast, where she interviews folks from across sexuality, kink, and professional spectrums about desire, pleasure, shame, stigma, and of course, bodily functions. I actually met Nicoletta at a sex party and kink event in LA. And while we were chatting about what we do for work, I realized that I'd actually been following her work for Instagram for years. Um, So I'm really excited and honored to have her join us today. So welcome, Nicoletta. Thank you. Such a fun party and such a nice kismet to connect with you more officially. I love it. Okay. So starting with the basics, can you uh, just talk a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Yeah. So as you said, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, which means that I got a a master's in clinical psychology. um, But I, over the course of many years, realized that most professions don't get much training in human sexuality, including the field of mental health. And so I wanted to make sure that I had specialized training in human sexuality to actually help people with sexually presenting issues, both because it's my personal passion, but also because I didn't want therapy to be another place where people couldn't talk about pleasure. And so I got a second master's in human sexuality and have, you know, kind of made it my mission to um, help people feel less shame and more pleasure. So I work mostly in private practice with individuals, partners, um, and other sort of relational uh, setups. And most people come see me for sex specific issues, but it's never just about sex. Uh, There's always lots of other things going on. And so I I work with folks doing that um, both virtually and in person. Awesome. Yeah. It's pretty wild how little education on sexuality is included in these fields where you would think it would be way more important, like the medical field as well. Yeah. The medical field, I talk about this a lot on the podcast. Actually, I just had one episode kind of just discussing this for a particular concern, which is a pelvic pain. Mm. Um, and even OBGYNs and things like that, or urologists that you might expect getting some specialized training. Um, a lot of them aren't specialized trained in human sexuality. Mm. You have to be a sexual medicine specialist to, to have that. And those are few and far between. They often don't take insurance. Um, and then for therapists like me, we usually get, uh, there's like a required 10 hours, at least in California of human sexuality training. And at least there's something, but 10 hours is, it's pretty broad. And the way they say like what you're supposed to cover is also pretty broad. And so it was barely scratching the surface. So for most of us, if you weren't raised in like a shame-free household with comprehensive sex ed, a lot of us don't feel comfortable talking about sex. And so I see a lot of therapists who don't feel comfortable talking to their clients Mm. about it. The clients don't feel comfortable. So then they never ask, the doors never opened and it's just weird. So they get referred to me sometimes, even if they have a general therapist, because yeah. the therapist is like, I don't cover that, which is, I mean, look, it's kind of like, you can't know in depth everything. Like, you know, for example, you can go to your GP, but then you may have to go to an osteopath for, yeah. you know, musculoskeletal stuff. And I think there needs to be more. So at least therapists know what they don't know yeah. and can properly refer folks, um, to that resource. Yeah, totally. I went through a program, um, not a master's program, but a certification in clinical sexology, because literally just 
as a body image coach, it was so, it came up so often. And I was like, I need yeah. training. I need to know more. I need to be exposed yeah. to more of this information. And I mean, that was hundreds of hours. And I still feel like it's a continual learning process. I can't even imagine just 10 or less yeah. hours. Well, I, I mean, I, I like to think that it's something we continue to learn over time, like anything, yeah. right? Whether that be mental health, sexual health, it is is health. And I think the learning never stops. So totally. But that's maybe an invitation to folks listening that like sex is something you can learn. Great yes. sex is something you can learn. Pleasure is something you can learn. So if you're willing to put in hours, you're going to have better sex. That's a great point, actually, because I do not think that is mostly what people learn about sex, that it's a skill, that there's actually information out there that can help you improve it. Like we're yeah. just kind of taught it's it's basic and you do it and yeah. if it's good that's sort of if it's magical. good then you're, then you're good and if it's not then you suck <laughs> at sex right yes oh man okay so the pelvic pain is actually something i wanted to start with because yeah. i also as you can probably imagine deal with a lot of people who are experiencing pelvic pain whether or not that's necessarily the language they'll use coming in um yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, it impacts your relationship with your body when you're in pain, or even if you're not necessarily in pain, but just experience discomfort yeah. during sex or penetration or any of these things, like it has a huge impact on your relationship with yourself, your body, your partner. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'd love to have you give us a little definition for what pelvic pain is and how it tends to show up. Yeah. I mean, firstly, I just want to like acknowledge too what you were saying, and, and I don't have the, the research numbers on this, but I would say I see a lot of folks who struggle with body image issues um, who also have pelvic pain. And mm -hmm. it's sort of like a chicken or egg thing yep. uh, because some people who experience pelvic pain, what they're doing is they're sucking in their stomach or they're tensing their lower extremities because they want to appear uh, thinner or they carry the stress in their core, in their pelvic floor, in their body. And so I think there's a, you know, unfortunate moniker out there of like, yeah. do your kegels, do your kegels. Yeah. You can have a tight vagina. Um, and some people need that if their pelvic floor needs strengthening, but a lot of people don't. And so they actually over, um, over exercise, yep. uh, which can actually create weakness, but also tension. Mm -hmm. And so I see a lot of people who have this overlap of, I don't feel good about my body. I hold things in and I'm tense. And then it creates some pelvic, pelvic dysfunction. Um, Absolutely. And then the reverse is also true where if someone's body isn't functioning in the way they want it to, meaning they're having pain when they don't want to be feeling pain, they don't feel good about the way their body works and its yeah. function. So the interconnectedness of, of what you work on and, and this theme is so there's a huge overlap. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like by the way, one of the things that led to the program that I did yeah. was what I felt at the time was like a very disproportionately high number of my clients with like vaginismus and, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just like all of these issues with yeah. uh, like hypertonic, is that the word hypertonic pelvic floors, like overly tensed basically? Yeah, they've they've actually changed it to not use hypertonic because that's more descriptive of a of a different condition. But okay. basically to break it down, it means like over over tension, like you, yes. you've tensed things too much. Yeah, this was years ago. But it was one of those things where I was like, yeah. man, like this yeah. is a ridiculously high percentage of my clients. Yeah. And I now recognize that it's it's actually a much higher percentage of just people with vaginas in general um, yeah. than anyone probably is aware. 
but mm-hmm. also for sure the crossover with body image is massive. Yeah. And just to break it down for folks, I mean, the broad generalization is, um, you know, basically sex should only hurt unless you, unless you want it to (laughs) in a kinky (laughs) way. And, um, I think a lot of people figure out they have pelvic pain from sex, but pelvic, the, the pelvic floor is a really wide range of like muscle configurations and groups, and it connects to other parts of your body. And so, um, there's sort of pelvic, uh, pelvic floor and pelvic, uh, you know, pain, but then there's also vulvovaginal pain, which has yeah. to do with people who have vulvas and vaginas, but also any genital configurations can experience pelvic pain. Mm. So people who have penises, people who are intersex, um, any genitals can experience pelvic pain because of the, the muscles, um, in that group, but the, the types of pain can be different. Gotcha. And so generally, um, there are so many different ways and reasons that this can happen. Um, sometimes it can happen because um, people have a hormone issue, a hormone imbalance, which can cause an issue with the tissues. Um, and this can sometimes happen from long-term oral contraceptive use for people with vaginas. Um, uh. And so that can cause pelvic pain. Um, some people experience it because like I said, they've been tensing their muscles or aren't holding their body in a way yeah. that is sustainable for them. Um, sometimes it's a result of surgery or uh, C-sections, you know, any kind yeah. of um, surgical stuff that's happened. Sometimes it can be trauma. So it's sort of a survival mechanism of like, yeah. I'm going to hold this together because I don't want um, anyone to break through, you yeah. know, something that is is my consent. Um, sometimes it's an old narrative. Somebody told you that like tight pussies are the best kind. And so you need oh to gosh, yeah. tense and keep it tight. Um, so it can that be from was that. Personally, trauma yeah. for me. Um, totally. I used to experience this like crazy and definitely holding in my stomach, all of those tension things, the consent mm-hmm. thing, but for yeah. sure, this was a big one. Tight pussies. Like I mm-hmm. just was terrified that yeah. if my vagina was ever relaxed, like then it would be gross yeah. or, yeah. you know, like bad. Oh man, that's a damaging narrative. Yeah. And, and just like any other part of the body. I mean, I think when a lot of us experience tension, like we think of it in our shoulders and our chest, yeah. um, but a lot of us can also tense that area. Um, there's also, and this is a little bit out of my wheelhouse, so I don't want to speak improperly, but basically there's a lot of like fascial connections between the jaw and the pelvis. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people too, who clench their jaw and their neck are also affecting their pelvic floor. Um, for people with penises, there can be, um, like issues in in the the tissue or like a fibrosis that can happen that causes pain. Mm -hmm. There can be nerve things down there that cause like, um, pinched nerves or, like an overactivation of nerves. So basically yeah. there's a lot of ways that can cause um, unwanted pain during sex yeah. or just unwanted pain in existing. That could be anything from putting in tampons to sitting, to walking, right. um, to feeling clothes on your body. Um, that There's all sorts of reasons that can, yeah. that can cause it. So it's really important to get to, if you're experiencing any pain down there, get to a sexual medicine specialist to see what is physically going on. Um, Most people who have pelvic pain will go to their OBGYN, but most OBGYNs don't get training in, in pelvic pain. And so a lot of folks with pelvic issues, I think they did a study recently that someone just talked about on my podcast that 
they looked at people with pelvic pain and most of them had seen at least 10 doctors before getting a diagnosis. Whoa. So a lot of people are medically gaslit. They're not told Whoa, that's what's going terrible. on. Yeah. So go to someone with this specialization mm-hmm. specifically, which can be, um, can, there can be an accessibility issue for getting yeah. that kind of care if it's not covered by your insurance. Oh, totally. Yikes. 10, that is horrible. And definitely tracks with like client experience and everything. Uh, and I, I almost feel like some of the accessibility issue too is a lot of people who end up going this direction won't take insurance because they are, you know, doing sort of private, like, coachingy type because once you start to have a more holistic approach it's like that tends to be the world of coaching mm-hmm. more so than like medical or or physical therapy type stuff so i feel like a lot of the most valuable yeah. content that i see is from people who you know aren't going to be taking insurance yeah i mean i think what it is is those folks those doctors spend more time with people and because mm-hmm. this takes a lot more of a um, detailed approach. They're spending yeah. an hour and a half usually, or right. or something with with somebody for an appointment, and that's just like our our medical system through insurance isn't really designed that way. You know, it's like a twenty to thirty minute, maybe less yeah. experience. And so, um, for someone to be able to spend that much time with somebody and um, also pay their bills, right? Uh, it, sort of seems like it it has to happen that way based on how our system is set up. So what would you say that most people like, what's the message they're getting about pelvic pain or the advice they're being given about pelvic pain generally? You mean um, in a way that's helpful or the ones that aren't getting? (laughs) Like more broadly, what do you think people are coming across in the world? Oh, um, I think they're being gaslit with like, just relax. Like it doesn't really hurt that much kind of feeling. Have you tried a glass of wine? Have you tried Mm, lube? Um, It's sort of like minimized. um, I think in general, in our culture, there's sort of this like grin and bear it thing, especially if you're in a body with a vagina or raised in like a, in a femme way, there's this sort of normalization of pain, pain with your period, pain with sex. And, and those are kind of misnomers. Like if people knew their body, if they knew how to relax, if they had comprehensive sex ed, they would learn that like, that's not really normal. It's usually from being like prematurely penetrated, not being turned on enough, not Mm -hmm. knowing what you need, not knowing your partner. Um, there could be like not feeling safe like to speak up about exactly like exactly. positions or yeah, all those yes. things. Um, oh, I think man. it also comes from there's messages of just like not believing women um, yeah. of just like, oh, it doesn't hurt that bad. Like you're just on your period, you know, there's like th- this minimizing. Yep. Um, so I think the message is like that people don't talk about it. Um, people don't know that it exists. A lot of people who I see in my office who are, are experiencing pain are like, oh my gosh, that was pain. <laughs> Oh, They're wow. like, yeah, like when they go to the doctor and they do a test to kind of test for pain, they've been living with like a low grade or high grade amount of pain that they just like weren't even registering as like yeah. valid pain. Like maybe what categorizing it as like discomfort, sort of like a vague, I don't yeah, love it. Or like, but... oh, it's not that bad. Like, yeah, I can, yeah. Or, you know, just, just, just keep going. Yeah. Kind of thing. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Just like lack of education, lack of validating. Yeah. Um, lack of really talking about it. So what's interesting to me is that 
it's pretty common experience with clients who will come in and be like, okay, I want to talk about like having low libido or feeling like my sex life with my partner is boring or unsatisfying. And it's only way later. And if I'm specifically asking that the topic of pain will come up and it's a presence Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, of course that hurts. But like, you know, they're not necessarily thinking, I don't want to have sex because it hurts. They're thinking hurts. Yeah. sex is just sort of a vaguely unappealing idea, you know? Yep. And then once you yep. get in there and you're like, oh, well, I also wouldn't want to do stuff that hurt. Like it right. is a pretty big light bulb moment for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, that always, it's sad, but it always like baffles me when that happens. It's just like, there's I have the same experience where people come in and they're like, I have low libido or I'm struggling mm. with this. And then I ask them, you know, how they feel about the sex they're having. Do they experience pain? And it's often yes. And to make this connection that like our bodies evolved to avoid things that make us sick um, or give us pain um, in a lot of ways. And so, you know, think about it. Like if you've ever um, thrown up from a certain kind of food or from like drinking alcohol, did you want to eat that thing again? Totally. That's such a great comparison. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone experiences pain, the next time their muscles are going to be bracing for like, uh oh, it's going to hurt. So mm-hmm. it causes more tension and then more pain. And the yeah. cycle kind of repeats itself all the yeah. way going to the point where like they may not even experience desire um, for something because yeah. that, that, that's unsafe. Their body's yeah. like, well, it's not safe to do that. Why would we want to do that? Um, Totally. Which I think can go. Sometimes there can be hormone issues too. Like I said, if the pain is caused by a hormone imbalance, so that can affect desire too, but it's, it's often like, yeah, if this doesn't feel good or safe, why would you want to do that? Oh man. Absolutely. It's so, it's so straightforward when you put it that way. Like a lot of people blaming themselves for not wanting something that kind of sucks. It doesn't make sense, (laughs) but it's not how we're taught to hold it. Um, well, and I'm also- not even, not even like in pain situations too. A lot of people are like, aren't wanting to have sex with their partner or something. And I'm like, well, how is this sex that you're not yeah. having? And they go into a thing about like all the things they don't like about yeah. it. And it's like, well, yeah, no wonder you don't want to have sex that sucks for you. I think it's Emily Nagoski in her book, come as you are, that talks about, uh, like, would you want to go to a restaurant? You know, would you blame yourself for having negative feelings about a restaurant yeah. um, or like not wanting to go to this restaurant with uncomfortable chairs, bad food, terrible right. service? Like, no, you would just be like, this makes sense. But, but the ambiance is good. Yeah. When it comes to sex, we're like, oh, I should want it anyway. Basically, no matter what's right. on the menu, I should want uh-huh. it. Right. Um, I also want to say, so pelvic floor healing and reconnection was a huge part of my own like sexual liberation journey, uh, Mm -hmm. healing my relationship with my body journey. It was a really big part of it, but I didn't necessarily have chronic pain, but I did have pain sometimes. And I now have a totally different relationship with that pain because I now consider if it crops up, which it does occasionally, Mm. um, I now consider it like a valid message about Mm. whatever the moment is offering. And there's so much information in pain when it's not just a constant. So like the day that I 
got engaged basically we tried Mm -hmm. to have sex that night and I was having pain like out of nowhere I never have this kind of pain anymore and I was like oh that's super interesting something in my body is like gripping around the the pressure of like first time engaged sex it's supposed to be magical or whatever (laughs) Um, and I was like okay and so we stopped it was like a very sweet and funny experience to be like uh my body is saying no for whatever reason and we can't have sex to you know kind of seal this moment and also that's still lovely and fine but in the past I would have pushed through I would have been like "Uh uh-oh this means something bad about me like it is so magical to have healed it so that you can actually listen to it when it does be in relationship with it yeah, yeah totally Yeah, I I love that you said that. I mean, of course, because I'm a therapist, I always tell people like, if you're experiencing pain and it's recurring, get it checked out just to make sure there's nothing going on. A lot of us kind of put that off. And there are a lot of like non-clinical, so to speak, like physiological reasons that we can experience pain, right? Like, like you said, it could be a message from our body that we need to spend more time. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us, if we're defining sex with any penetration, a lot of us with vaginas are getting prematurely penetrated, meaning like before we're relaxed, mm-hmm. before we're turned on, um, or we're just stressed. Our, our body's yeah. not relaxed in a, in a space that feels good. Um, we're not aroused enough. We're not lubricating enough. We're not using enough lube. Yeah. Um, but also I want to like name that. I don't know if I'm assuming wrong, but when you were talking about this engaged sex, do you mind answering? Was it penetrative? Yeah, it was. It was. And normally... Uh, with this particular partner that has been like really wonderful but that's why I thought it was so interesting it was like I think old messages around just a whole bunch of old messages were like putting pressure in this weird way and my body was all amped yeah yeah and I think yeah pain is a good indicator to pause and check in yeah Um, and sometimes it means let's get the fuck out of this let's stop immediately (laughs) like not go you know no no um but other times I think it doesn't have to be no to every pleasure. Right, it might right. be no to penetration, but sex and pleasure can be so many different things. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people put this pressure on, like if penetration is not feeling good, sex is we off can't the table. do anything. Yeah, 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 sex is off the table as yeah. opposed to, oh, if I'm still wanting to connect, to connect with my partner, are there other things on the menu that feel yeah. good? Can I get back to feeling excited about something? Is there mm-hmm. something that does sound good and that is feeling good for my body that yeah. doesn't mean something going inside me? Um, like there's so many other, for me, sometimes better things to do. Sure, yeah, <laughs> totally. I would say that in that particular moment, what I needed to do was talk. So that's what happened. We were like yeah. very giggly and talked through all yeah. of like the, you know, the messy brain stuff that was coming up in this new moment. But absolutely, yeah. uh, I would say so many of my clients and certainly a lot of my experience around sex followed the like cis heteronormative script that we learn mm-hmm. about uh, sex equals penetration. Right. And, and it starts and the, basically the greatest form of it. <laughs> Yeah, that's like the height of it. And it starts when he enters you, it it ends when he orgasms, and then it's over. So that actually, I wanted to hear a little more about pelvic pain, but I'd love to have you just talk a little bit about that script, that um, message and its impact on people's connection to sex and pleasure and also pain. Yeah, I mean, look, it's the 
it's a penis focused patriarchal script um that creates this this hierarchy as we're talking about um but the fact of the matter is if i mean firstly people with any any bits and parts down there can value non non penetrative stuff um but especially if you're somebody who has a clitoris um only about 5 to 10% of people who have a vagina um or orgasm from penetration alone um meaning they need external stimulation yeah. um or a combination of stimulation or no penetration at all um and so I think in in the connection to to pleasure, um, focusing on penetration really limits our our pleasure potential. Um, and then for people with pelvic pain, if they've been taught this script, they can have a hard time not being hard on themselves that if they're they can't have this ideal form yeah. of sex that they're failing, yeah. as opposed to let's figure out what pleasure is is needed for you. Yeah. And, and the other thing I will highlight with that is that. I think a lot of people believe that, um, you know, if they're going through something that's painful or something that's intense, that they need to work through that before they can get to pleasure as mm. opposed to using pleasure as a healing tool and a resource. And so this is where it relates to pelvic pain is I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, I need to solve that first and sure. be able to do X, Y, Z before I can experience pleasure as opposed to no, no matter if you're experiencing pain, you're still in a pleasure able body. And Ooh, I love that. Pleasure can look like so many different things. Like even like you said, you were like in that moment I needed to talk. Yeah. Talking can be orgasmic. Talking uh-huh. can be uh-huh. pleasurable. I'm not saying you're like, you know, coming <laughs> in the traditional sense. Maybe you are if you're stimulated in your brain, okay. but there's a lot of ways we can experience what I call the soul boner, where you're like having an an energetic excitement that feels good and playful. And it doesn't have to be P and V. Now you came (laughs) and and that's the only form of pleasure. Totally. Okay. So first of all, I just love and want to like, say again, you're in a pleasure able body, that everyone is in a pleasure able body that feels really huge. And yeah. really counter to all of the messages that I think people tend to get. Mm-hmm. Again, especially for folks like conditioned as girls and women, that that is just not, that is not what we're talking. It's like even sex ed, if you've got any sex ed, it's very much like how to avoid pregnancy, how to deal with periods. It's not like yeah anything with pleasure as a focus. Yeah, I can't recall specifically, but I want to say I like first... I've heard a lot of people use this term now, but I want to say I first heard it from a colleague named Lucy Fielding, who wrote a book called Transsex, um, a great sex therapist and, and educator. Um, and for me, though, the way I kind of conceptualize it, and, and as we're talking about body neutrality or the way you feel yeah. about your body, um, if you can get to a place of like, even if I'm not loving every part of my body all the time, yeah. it is still capable and deserving of pleasure how healing that could be for somebody Mm -hmm. um, to see that whatever body they're in, they can find something that is ideally neutral to pleasurable. um, And that practice. So basically when we're experiencing play and pleasure, our brain is more neuroplastic, meaning it has the ability to grow and to change and create new neural pathways. And Mm -hmm. so when we're in pleasure, the sort of like cocktail of hormones and feel good things creates the brain's ability to change more. 
And so if you're sort of combining pleasure with, I want to feel better about my body, you're going to have, um, it's going to be easier to do when you're engaging in this experience that allows your brain to expand. And so pleasure mixed with sort of body affirmations and things is going to be a way to experientially teach your body that it deserves more, that it's, that it's, um, yeah, that it's pretty good in there in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And also I feel like similar to the kind of restaurant analogy around sex and like why it just makes so much sense. You wouldn't want to go to that place. Um, I feel very similarly around body image in some ways, just the experience of being a person, especially if you have chronic pain or Mm -hmm. illness or any of the trauma, any of these things that make being in your body so unpleasant. Yeah. And then to have someone be like, I don't know why I can't love it. Like, I just don't know why I feel so negatively about it. And there is such an imbalance between positive and negative experiences that live there that I'm like, oh, well, that actually makes a ton of sense that you wouldn't feel good about a body that you associate with pain and right. fear and like all these negative sensations. Um, but it is also something that you can offset by, obviously, if it's available to you, reducing pain and negative sensations, but also boosting. <laughs> you can just boost the pleasure and good feelings. And now you're coming back to a more balanced state, which means your association with your body is just going to be a lot less like skewed towards the negative. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to normalize like for people listening, if they're like struggling to take time to do those pleasurable, fun things, because if you're not feeling good about the body you're in or the body you're in hasn't been a safe place for you, or it doesn't feel like the body you're supposed to have, um, it can feel near impossible to be in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be a survival mechanism because it's been a source of pain or discomfort yeah. or whatever. And so getting to a place of being in your body enough to experience neutral to pleasant sensations yeah. is definitely going to be a practice and a journey. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's as easy as just like go masturbate and you'll be yep. feeling great about your body in two weeks or your money back guaranteed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of undoing. Um and yeah. healing to be able to be safe enough to experience pleasure. Absolutely. Also, the uh, <laughs> the desire to experience pleasure can be enough pressure on you in a moment to not experience a whole lot of pleasure. So even right. if you're like telling yourself, okay, <laughs> I have to do this pleasure practice and feel pleasure, or I'm supposed to enjoy this sex and it's not like immediately available, you can push pleasure even further out of the Uh, available experience. (laughs) Yes. It's tricky. Yeah. So how do you then guide someone through using pleasure and play as a healing tool, whether for pelvic pain or for like literally any other aspect of thriving? You know, I, I mean, again, once they kind of rule in or rule out something physical, because I want to make sure I know like what is going on and I'm collaborating with that doctor, that's like most key because you know, I want to know what's like safe for them to do. Um, if it's something like pelvic pain, they might also be going to what's called a pelvic floor therapist. So this is like a physical therapist, but for your pelvic region, um, just like any other kind of physical therapy. Um, and so kind of having this, this team approach is key, but I actually do something similar to, I think what your, what your work talks about in terms of neutrality. Yeah. And so I, 
there's a few different approaches, but if someone is struggling to like feel pleasure, I might start smaller with like, well, can we find the neutral? Yeah. And so by that, I mean, let's say someone is in chronic pain and they kind of get to this globalized place of like everything hurts yeah. or they're just really focused on the pain. We'll do a series of like guided sort of um, meditations of sorts where I invite people to see if they can find the edge of that pain. The mm. edge meaning where does it go from like really painful to maybe a little less painful or maybe yeah. a little more neutral, even if it's like just your eyebrows yeah. or like just your eyelashes or just your toes. Um, this is an approach that I learned through um, something called the trauma resiliency model um, and uh, another one called somatic experiencing, but it's basically a tool to kind of help in an embodied way realize that the pain isn't everywhere yeah and so if we can kind of focus on that neutral place for a moment and spend some time with it yeah we're sort of able to not be in this like panic pain state yeah. ongoing um so i teach people a lot about the nervous system as well that's kind of key um and once we can find uh, the neutral a little bit, um, I might start helping them experience sensations that are neutral, right? So just like, oh, can you feel this sweater on your skin? Like yeah. almost just getting them um, resensitized, mm -hmm. I guess, that like they experience sensations in their body other than pain. Even yep. if it's not like a big orgasmic one, it's like, oh, can you smell this smell? Like, oh, that's yeah. kind of pleasant. Can you feel this texture? Yeah. Can you feel that temperature? Oh, you're drinking water right now. What temperature is the water? Like helping people to feel safety and resensitizing um, and mixing that with some like resourcing and healing work of like, oh, I'm feeling a sensation, but I'm safe. Oh, yeah. I'm smelling mm -hmm. this thing, but I'm safe. And so then from there, we can kind of expand on it a bit. That's usually where I start. So I do something very similar, um, specifically around body image, but like looking for the parts of your body that feel safe or non-threatening when yeah. you have a sense of like, I just hate my whole body. It can be mm -hmm. so like calming and grounding and healing to realize I actually only feel hatred like from just below my shoulders to just above my knees, I feel pretty neutrally mm. about, you know, my ears, mm -hmm. my face, my feet, whatever. Like just finding those parts of yourself yeah. that aren't included makes the mm -hmm. whole story get a little bit quieter or further away yeah. and it, it brings back a groundedness. Yes. So that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And then the, another, like, I would say more digestible one to practice would just be, um, in the morning before you check your phone, which like is really hard, especially if you use it as your alarm, I immediately pick it up and I'm scrolling, yeah. but I try not to do this as much as I can before you check your phone, before you email, before you do work stuff, before you do anything for anyone else. Even if you like mm -hmm. have kids at home, like I know you want to make sure they're safe and okay, but I'm talking like 30 seconds. Yeah. Just do something for 30 seconds to a minute that is just for you. That doesn't have a goal that doesn't mm. have um an expectation that's not in service of somebody just something that feels pleasant to neutral for yeah. you so that could be like it could just be laying there for 30 seconds and being like i'm just going to take some breaths yeah. it could be doing a stretch that feels nice it could be listening to um, a little bit of your favorite song it could be yeah. drinking some tea um just this act of like i'm gonna 
prioritize something for my pleasure first with repetition, this can be helpful and and start small, like annoyingly small. If you're like, I can't even do a minute, do five seconds. Maybe in the morning, you're just like, okay, that breath was for me. That's it. Like, And if you can't even do five seconds, like go to a therapist because you need some help <laughs> and there's no shame in that, but like, right, you might need some extra support. Yeah. So something that I wanted to hear a little more about, given um, all the messages that we get about this stuff, how difficult it is for so many of us to like really take in pleasure and how linked yeah. this is to, you know, especially in like uh, gender normative sexual relationships Um, I know a lot of my clients struggle to imagine, like literally even imagine what a more pleasurable way of approaching life for sure, but specifically sex with their partner would look like, because they feel like almost like their, their needs or their pleasure or like what it would take for them to, um, be fully turned on or ready or in the mood or orgasm, like that all of that would be a burden on their partner, that it would be like, a favor they're asking. It's too much. To it's ask, too much. Yeah. yeah. So I would love to hear you talk about that. If you have any like specific advice for someone who might feel that way, or just you know, kind of give us some insight into into where that comes from. Yeah, I mean, I want to validate that because that's something I hear so commonly from a lot of different kinds of bodies. But I would say, especially like people, like femme people, yeah. um, because if you grew up in like a, a femme body or were raised as a as female, um, that you probably were taught that you were supposed to not ask for too much, right? Yeah. Like you're supposed to be a good hostess, um, <laughs> which includes like hosting somebody in you, right? Yeah. Like, um, and so I think it's all about like serving others, like, what can I get you? What do you need? And so there's this concept, I think you and I've spoken a little bit about before, and um, it's called positive affect tolerance. And it's basically like a tolerance that we have for receiving nice things. <laughs> and so, <laughs> A lot of us can say we have a tolerance for like bad stuff where that's yeah. like, okay, I've, I'm triggered. I've hit my limit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like too much of this thing or like I'm full. I've eaten too much food. Um, but we can also have it for pleasant stuff. So that could be receiving pleasure. That could be receiving touch. That could be receiving care, receiving yeah. compliments, um, yeah. uh, receiving attunement, like attuned, focused time, being center of attention. Um And this can stem from all sorts of places. This can stem from, again, like not feeling good about your body, feeling like your body doesn't deserve it, being taught that you were too much or it was asking for too much. It can also come from maybe there were times where you did ask and a person wasn't able to show up that way, Right. Um, which can say more about them. But I think we think like, oh, it means that I'm too much because you couldn't do it. Um, It can also come from a place of sometimes we learn that... um, receiving nice things is unsafe. Like if you grew Mm. up in a chaotic thing or you've had a relationship where um, there was like love bombing or where when you got nice things, then it was held against you and punished of like, well, I did all this for you, you ungrateful bitch. Like, you know, or or it was paired with abusive stuff. Some of us also have learned that it's like not safe to receive because it's going to be lobbed at us later um, as a threat. And so there's a lot of ways that we can struggle to receive. And so Mm -hmm. depending on it, it's going to be doing some work to figure out like, what are some of those core 
where did some of those core roots form? And then there's going to be some maybe ther therapy or coaching healing around those things to mm -hmm. ideally work through some of that again, to get to a place of like, can I feel safe receiving? Yeah. And I think again, it starts small with that, like even just that morning thing of like, can I feel safe enough in doing this little thing that's nice for yeah. me and start to kind of rewire my experience, my brain that like receiving is okay. And it's not yeah. too much. Um, there are also, you know, certain kinds of therapists that, that do this in a, in a certain kind of way. Like for example, there are people who do somatic experiencing therapy, which can be hands-on, but it's like a, an embodied therapeutic modality that kind of helps you work through things in real time with an attuned provider. And so if it feels unsafe to practice this with the person you're currently in a relationship with, do it with someone who's trained yeah. to help you increase your positive affect tolerance of like being able to ask for what you want and need. Yeah. Um, there's also people who do this in a sexual way, uh, depending on what state you're in is going to depend on the, um, yeah. the legality of this sort of gray area profession, but it's called sexological body work. And it's about, it's kind of like um, it's somatic sex education, somatic meaning body. So you're learning about, it's kind of like sex education and coaching, but there's a hands-on component yeah. um, of being like, wow, what would it actually look like for me to learn about more what I want, how to ask for what I want, and then actually receive it? Yeah, And that can be really hard for people. Mm -hmm. So there's ways to practice it in a, in a sort of safer trained container that um, I think can be really key. Yeah. Um, the last thing that comes to mind is I find a lot of people say they don't know what they like. And sure, maybe sometimes that's true. There needs to be more, more seeking, more searching. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times I think that I don't know means like I need more time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us don't give ourselves permission to like have more time. Yeah. So if you're struggling to know what you like, or you think you don't know what you like, um, I invite you in this moment to like, think about something in your life that has been a hell yes. So right. something that could, doesn't have to be sexual. It could be like a meal you ate. It could be a roller coaster you went on. It could be a, a dog that you love. It could be a day at the beach you had. It could be um, a plant, like anything yeah. in your life that doesn't suck, basically, yeah. that you for some reason know that you like it. Yeah. Um, and kind of really get in touch with like all the sensory details of that thing. Like, what does it look like? What does it smell like? What yeah. does it feel like in your body when you're with that thing? How does it feel in your body right now as yeah. you reflect on that thing? Um, I even see you smiling. I don't know if you're thinking. I do something. a lot of this with clients where I'll be like, I'll yeah. have them do the thing going back and forth between the, yes. the, whatever the, you know, focus is and what it feels like inside their body so that they're yeah. like able to kind of name or answer the question. How do you know you like it? Exactly. Like where, where does that answer live in your body? Cause it, that's where the information exactly. is. Yes, and exactly. most people aren't used to thinking of it that way. So it's a really powerful tool. Yeah. See, like you, like we were talking yeah. about, there's so much overlap between the work that we do. And that's why I, I wish people had some of this additional sexuality yeah. training because it's, it's about sex, but it's not just about sex, yes. right? It's about safety. It's about living a pleasurable life. It's about being able to receive, like there's so much more 
when we talk about sex that encompasses so many aspects of our life. Absolutely. So two things that came to mind. One is I have a friend who swears by, like she always says, hire a sex worker because the idea that you are allowed to take up space with your needs without being a burden on someone, without being too much, it she's like, it was just too much to overcome for me. Best thing yeah. I ever did was hire a sex worker where I knew that that person was in that room with me for a set amount of time mm-hmm. and nothing I asked for was too much. Like it, it was appropriate to be focused on. Mm-hmm. And that, like you said, that container of like almost you know, maybe an extreme um, version of it for some people, but basically what it offered her was the first chance in her whole life to be able to really ask, well, what would I want if I wasn't taking care of the other person? And she was like, it just changed my life completely because I'd never even, I'd never been in a sexual scenario with someone with all of those answers because it's so overridden immediately by the thought that I have to be, like you said, a good hostess, like taking care of the other person. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing that comes up is the difference when we talk about receiving nice things that there's, I feel like I see it on two fronts. One is quite literally receiving it into yourself, like allowing and um, sort of consenting to the pleasure that exists in yourself, which could happen while yeah. masturbating or, you know, drinking coffee um, yeah. and then receiving the care and mm-hmm. actions of others that are offering you what would ostensibly be a nicer pleasurable experience. Yeah. And I know for me, I had to do the first one first. I had to learn how to say yes to pleasure inside myself before I could let anyone else offer me pleasure without mm-hmm. freaking out because mm-hmm. that was what would happen. I would receive it. And both were like really big parts of the healing process. They were completely separate. They required different work. Um, But I had to learn inside myself just like how to let pleasure in before I could even consider letting someone else try to offer it to me without panicking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's another really amazing point that you said, because as we were sort of talking about receiving pleasure, we were talking about in the context of being with somebody else. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of us have learned that other people are gatekeepers of our pleasure right? That like this person is supposed to give me an orgasm. This person is supposed to like make me feel good. This person that you're supposed to turn me on. Um, and yes, we can learn a lot relationally with someone. Yes. It's nice to connect with people. We heal in, we are social creatures. We heal in relationship and maybe it's starting with working on, can you give yourself all the time that it takes to feel good? you know, why are we relying on somebody else to, can they, you know, allow me all this time and space um, when we can do that for ourselves. But a lot of us struggle to do that too. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to to do that. But I think like you're saying, a lot of healing can come from giving yourself, um, you know, untimed free pleasure exploration space um, where you're giving yourself this gift to like, take as long as you want, explore. There's no goal here. Um, and, and doing that with yourself can be so key. Yeah. And I would say for most people doing it non-sexually is a little less threatening and scary. Mm -hmm. Like you said, learning to pause throughout your day and like savor the food you're eating or notice that you're, you know, in a cozy blanket, in a comfortable position on the couch or like whatever it it might be. It's, it's really just, noticing that you can have pleasure throughout your day and you are deserving of it because that is 
for a lot of us really hard. Yeah. And then I feel like going into offering yourself sexual pleasure in a way that's not yeah. forced or, you know, kind of um, functional or prescriptive, like actually right. learning, taking the time, <laughs> basically telling yourself that you are deserving of that time and pleasure and going as slow as you want and taking the pressure off. I mean, it is yeah. unbelievably difficult and powerful mm -hmm. work. Yeah, I think a we were talking about like learning your yes and you probably do this too, but I think it's equally important to learn your no, or at least when something is starting to become a no. So like I'm someone who has had to work on some of this stuff as well, but um, a long time ago and, and I've, this still pops up for me sometimes, but I noticed through some of the work that I had been doing therapeutically that when I would hear a need or a voice in my body that was telling me I needed something, I would often wait and see how long I could like tolerate yeah, not sure, doing yeah. it. But in small things like, oh, I have to pee. I'd be yeah. like, I'm going to wait. I don't have to pee that bad yeah. yet. Or like, oh, I'm feeling thirsty. I'm going to like wait because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in the middle of a conversation. And so um, a lot of us have not been in relationship with our body. So we don't yeah hear or listen to that voice as it comes up or we ignore it so kind of like what you were saying with the pain like our body has a lot of messages for us yeah. and often it's there we just like aren't listening and so it it sounds quieter and so something i've been doing is trying to get in touch again with what what a no feels like or what a what a need feels like yeah and if it's something i feel like um you know starting small that i could do i would like not i i started practicing not hesitating so like Ooh, as soon yeah. as I was like, I have to pee, I'd be like, I would go pee. As soon as yeah. I felt like I needed water, I would go get water. Um, I also think, and not saying you should do this to like test your partners as like a manipulate, a manipulative yeah, yeah. technique, but like it can be very vulnerable to ask for what you want sexually, mm -hmm. especially if you're like feeling, you know, um, under-resourced and like unpracticed in a yeah. sexual realm. So start practicing asking for things that you don't care that much about yeah, <laughs> just to practice receiving. Totally. So again, I'm not saying you should like do this just to test, yeah. but like, you know, something that you care less about just maybe you're not even that thirsty, but being like, I would so love it if you went and got me a glass of water yeah. and then have them bring it back and be, be specific about it uh -huh. and then have them bring it back. And again, you know, be cautious of this because I don't want to like use somebody, sure. but you can even maybe get consent to be like, I'm struggling to ask for what I want. Yeah. Can I practice with you? Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe when they bring it back, um, send it back, <laughs> tell them, <laughs> you know what, actually, yeah. uh, I, I actually, now that you brought this, I kind of, um, I think I'd prefer some tea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like, I think I'd prefer some ice. So again, don't, don't torture your partner non-consensually right. and start to practice asking for things from people that you logically know mm -hmm. want to show up for you. And then when they bring it back, practice like receiving it. Receiving it. Um, yeah. And then also, that. also practice giving to mm. others and, and not just giving. Cause like, I think a lot of us like give without taking care of self, but yeah. like practice more like intentional giving where you're like, okay, I'm going to be of service to somebody today, whether mm. that be volunteering or your partner or whatever, and seeing if you can enjoy being of service and how nice that feels for you. And then think about like, oh, it's probably really nice for other people yeah. when they get to do that. But sometimes we have to remind ourselves that it feels good Oof, to hold space yes. for somebody 
that it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I want to keep doing this thing for somebody. Uh, I'm like, I always say to like clients, think about how, how amazing it feels when a friend like trusts you, you know, they call you in a crisis and they're like, can I just talk this through? And you're like, I am special. Yeah, (laughs) I'm special. I'm such a good friend. And it's like thrilling to hold that space for them and show up for their needs. It's a wonderful feeling. And Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of people's partners are, they have given indications that they would love to give them pleasure if only they let them, you know? And so again, it's like tapping into that feeling of just think about how, what a gift it is to your partner to ask for the thing, whether it's slowing down or non-penetrative sex or, you know, changing things up in a way that might feel like, "Uh uh-oh, what are they going to think? But ultimately you've handed them the gift of that feeling like, yes, Mm -hmm. I made my partner orgasm. Oh man, I brought them pleasure. Like it's such a good feeling. Yeah. If you're a book person and you're like, wanting to explore this giving and receiving, I would recommend checking out the work of, um, I think it's Betty Martin, the wheel of consent. Um, I don't know if you've read that, but there's a lot of sort of exercises about like giving for their pleasure, giving for my pleasure, um, receiving for their pleasure, receiving for my pleasure, like kind of practicing these um, roles and power dynamics of of giving and receiving. Um, that has some helpful tools, I would say. I love that. Also on the not hesitating front, I think it's kind of a I mean, I I love and super support the practice in non-sexual contexts, and I can see how valuable that would be, of course. But I also Mm -hmm. do feel like practicing in a sexual context, especially just sort of even acknowledging that like the desire for sex is not one consistent unit. Like Mm -hmm. when you want something in a sexual realm, it's not always the same. It's not always like uh, you know, the full sexual experience that you're used to. Maybe you just want a little bit of the the first step. That's still a desire. You still yeah. get to ask for it. And I think not hesitating in those spaces has been one of the most like fun parts of my relationship with my partner. Um, because there have been times where I will like, I will like walk into the living room and be like, I have a weird request. And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, yes, what is it? You know? And I'm like, I want to put my headphones on listen to my book, lay perfectly still and have you go down on me. And he's like, done, you know, because if I were to walk in and be like, do you want to have sex? It might not end up being the thing that in that moment is so specific to what I'm looking for. Yeah. And just giving yourself permission to like, let that be okay and Mm -hmm. not hesitate and be like, oh, I hope someday soon that random desire happens. Like, taking right. that agency and saying, I get to ask and they get to say yes or no. I mean, mm-hmm. both are fine. Yeah. And this is also, as we talked about, kind of re-narrating the definition of sex and like giving yourself permission to yeah. have a whole, I, I often encourage clients to make like a pleasure menu of like all the things they could possibly think about that would be pleasurable. And then you kind of just like when you're ordering out takeout, you get to kind of negotiate like, uh-huh what are we down for being on the menu tonight? Yeah. Um, and, and you, you can consistently add to that. Um, but yeah, I think that takes being with someone who is willing to receive that of and course. show up in that way. And, and some people aren't, and, and yeah. you can sometimes work through that in relationship through sex therapy or couples therapy. But if you're with someone who's not willing to receive some of that and yeah. isn't willing to work on it, might be hard to heal from this with that partner. 
Well, it's too bad you say that because I was about to be like, give us your best advice because I know so many <laughs> listeners are going to be thinking, oh, I want to tell my partner I want this kind of sex life. Um, yeah. How do you how do you begin? Yeah, so I think. Listen, blame this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I, I like to totally invite people to like blame me for I stuff like look up a podcast, look up an article, look up something in the theme of what you're asking for um that is like recent that you just you know if you're feeling scared to bring it up that you just stumbled yeah. upon and you're like yeah. this interesting article or this weird article totally. or this um this interesting podcast came into my feed and I listened to it and you know it had some interesting ideas like I'd love to share with you would you be willing to to listen to it with me and and yeah talk about how like you don't have to reinvent the wheel you can you can utilize a resource as a jumping off point um to to get that started yeah totally and then what about uh navigating resistance any advice for well because I think some of what we're talking about here is sort of a big reveal it's like a coming out to your partner like I've been feeling pain I didn't mention or I'm not enjoying the sex we've been having there's like a lot of vulnerability if you actually are honest um do you have any advice for navigating that that tricky kind of conversation yeah, I mean, I'm I'm biased because I'm like, go to a therapist. <laughs> right, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but to, to start the conversation, I mean, this sounds kind of like simple or oversimplified in a way, but I think it can be a good place to start. I just call it the shit sandwich technique. Yeah. Have you heard that approach? Yeah. But it's basically like, say the nice thing, say the hard thing, say the nice thing, mm-hmm. um, or framing it as a compliment. Um, yeah. And so, for example, with this, you know, this might sound overly therapisty, so you have to find sure. your language with it because I'm a little bit long-winded as a therapist. So uh-huh. find your language. But for example, with this, it might be like, you know, I've been feeling so close to you lately because I love you so much. And when we recently did this thing, I felt even closer to you. And it's allowing me to feel safe enough to like tell you something yes. that I've been scared about telling you because of my own fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually been having some pain during our sex stuff and I um I didn't bring it up because I was afraid and I really want to get it figured out um it's so sexy when you're willing to support me and I I just feel I just feel so safe that I could share this with you um will you help me you know so it's like it's hard to say no to that yeah as opposed to you know giving feedback that's like oh I don't like that or like oh stop it or um you know, focusing on the negative. Um, totally. If you're someone who, you know, maybe is like needing a bit longer or a bit whatever, you know, seeing if there's a point where you could use it as a compliment of like, yeah. you know what, I just like find you so hot. I like can't get enough of you. And and I like want our time together to last like even longer. Like, can you yeah. like spend even longer teasing me? Like, I don't want you to put your dick inside me until I'm begging for it until I'm hungry for yes, it. Like, yes. Oh my gosh. I feel so embarrassed saying that, but like, thanks yes. for giving me. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. I love it. And also I feel, I feel like in all of that is really like it's asking your partner to step into their best self you know their best partnered self their um you know align with their highest values like it is an act of like utmost respect for the person that you know they want to be too 
because everyone can get petulant and defensive if we feel criticized or attacked or whatever, but there's something so kind and and warm and lovely that you're like, Hey, I know that if I were to share something scary, painful, difficult, or challenging, you'd be there. And then you just, you, you ask them to, to be there. Yeah. Sort of sets them up. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't say no to that. Right. Now I'm, I, I've, I've got to be this person. I love um, it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, if you're really struggling to bring it up and like, can't even get the words in your mouth, it might mm-hmm. be time to see an individual therapist to mm-hmm. like practice getting these words in your mouth so that you yeah. can feel more comfortable with it and, and actually hone in on, you know, or with a coach hone in on like what you're actually asking for. Yeah. Um, but if you're really struggling to even bring it up, like there's a few like apps that have like card decks that I like. Um, and, and if you don't want it to just be like a sex-based one, pick one that has a bunch of stuff. So, yeah. um, I have a, an affiliation with this deck because I helped create some of the sex and relationship questions, but nice. there's a colleague of mine from college, um, it's called Lovewick. And so they have an app with like different decks. There is a sex and relationship one, but there's also like you know, uh, culture and dating and family and kids, awesome. you know, all, all these yeah. different ones. So you can set it on, um, like random as well. Um, and I think what's cool about that is like, then you can, but as you're building your confidence, you can blame it on the deck totally. where you're like, Oh, well the deck asked this question yeah. about like, how do you feel about non-monogamy or like, Oh, the deck <laughs> asked this question about how did you learn about pleasure? You know, like, yeah. guess we have to answer it. it. Oh, the deck asked. <laughs> That's great. Um, Yeah, I think this is so, so valuable, so helpful. And whether a person is navigating like away from pain, sort of solving a problem and inviting someone into that problem solving adventure with them, or just acknowledging that the sex they're having isn't quite the sex they want to be having and inviting someone into like a more adventurous or uh, like nuanced or, you know, pleasurable space it just feels like the the opening of the conversation is the hardest part because especially if it's going to sound like criticism or dissatisfaction that can be really hurtful but ultimately you really are trusting the person and i think so many of my clients anyway um a cue that i'll often give to open those conversations is to let them know that they've never experienced a certain kind of pleasure that they want to experience with anyone else but they finally feel like they might be able to with this partner. So again, it's upholding like the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I think so highly of you and your capacity Mm -hmm. to show up for me and your ability to love and care for me and your ability to hold space for my feelings and needs. Um, And that is such a gift, even though we think of it, I think, you know, kind of a lot of the messages we get is that it's a burden. It's an absolute gift. I want us to go to places I've never gone with anyone else. And I believe that I can. Yeah. And I mean, I, I also think, look, I, I want to like normalize that most people haven't received the practice and the training to like receive feedback about sex stuff and not personalize yeah, it or not get totally. defensive. So like, I don't want to say that that's an excuse because like folks can learn mm-hmm. to do better. Um, but like, I, I know it's hard. So like sometimes someone's initial response might be in their triggered place. Absolutely. Ideally, if it is, they will come back with a repair and yes. like acknowledge it. Um, but for me, I'm at the point in my life where like, if someone is not prioritizing of like growth and pleasure, mm-hmm. as that's like a key value to me, um, if they're not willing to receive feedback, I'm not dating them. 100%. 
So, Absolutely. you know, like I said, there's some room for, for growth and I'm like, okay, sometimes yeah. we first hear something and we get bristly, but then I'm like, oh, so like, let's have some yeah. repair. But like, if you're with somebody who time and time again, is not hearing you yeah. when you're being kind and vulnerable and asking for yeah. more and there's no repair either. Um, I can't Absolutely. tell you what to do with your relationship, but I for know. me, that would be a deal breaker. It is such a challenge, especially for folks who come to this much later on after a long partnership or marriage or whatever it is. Yeah, and, and like, it's not so easy oh just to step God, away. What do I yeah. do now? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge one. Um, but there okay, at least well, has to be a willingness like, hey, let's go to like, are you willing to work on this? Let's can we go yeah. to therapy? Can we do something? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so this was amazing. Thank you so much. Anybody who is listening and wants to find you, can you tell them where to find you on the internet? Thanks so much for having me. Um, it was a pleasure talking with you about this stuff and I'm so glad your work exists out there. Um, oh, if you, you want to follow what I'm doing, you can find my podcast, Sluts and Scholars, anywhere you get your podcasts or at slutsandscholars.com. Also Sluts and Scholars on Instagram. Hopefully they don't take me down because, you know, <laughs> sex content. Yeah. Um, if you're curious about working with me one-on-one, uh, -on -one, I, do, I do therapy with folks in California, but I also do coaching with folks all around the world. Um, and I also offer intensive retreats uh, in person um, in Malibu, California. So you can uh, reach out to me for that. And you can find me at Therapy with Nicoletta on Instagram or through Sluts and Scholars. You can find my website. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. This was really helpful. Uh, just a really amazing conversation. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Neeland and I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to this episode of the This Is Not About Your Body podcast. I put out new episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss it. And if you really enjoyed it, please go ahead and leave me a review. Um, also, if you're looking for more information about body neutrality or you want to work with me, you can find me at my website, jessineelan.com, or you can just purchase my book, Body Neutral, A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Body Image Issues, wherever you buy books, ebooks, or audiobooks. We can also connect on Instagram or TikTok. My handle is jessineeland. And because I make this uh, podcast available for free and without any sponsors or ads, you can also feel free to show your support using the Patreon link in the show notes and know that your support, if you decide to uh, participate, is always very much appreciated. Lastly, thank you to my brother, Jason Neeland, for creating the music that plays at the beginning of the show. And thank you for listening, learning, and moving toward personal and collective body liberation. <laughs> <laughs>